as we start tonight, I want to just read a quote that I think is, is a great summation of what Jesus has done. It says, the giving of gifts is not something man invented. God started the giving spree when he gave a gift beyond words, the unspeakable gift of his son. So tonight is really a celebration of that gift. It's a celebration of the gift of Jesus and what he has done. And, and we're going to have a series of, of scripture readings and uh, hopefully familiar music. Uh, so we're just uh, excited to have you guys here tonight. Let me just open in prayer and then we'll have our first uh, scripture reading. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship the Son, Jesus Christ, uh, the one who entered this world that was full of sin and darkness to bring the light and hope and love that only you can provide. So we thank you for a chance to reflect and remember tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A reading from the book of Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of, the, of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet of you shall come forth me, the one be ruler in Israel, who's going forth from of old everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remainment of his breathing shall return to the children of Israel. 
And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and in majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. I trust that that's what you've come to do, is to adore Him, Christ the Lord tonight. Just want to welcome you here. If you're here as a guest, not part of our regular church family, we're just glad that you're worshiping with us tonight on this Christmas Eve. I want to say Merry Christmas to each of you. We're just glad that you're here, and hopefully that this will be a meaningful experience to you as we worship the Lord together. Hopefully we come to worship Him. I'm going to just pray and because I need to pray uh, to get my heart set, and I just ask you to join me. Father, thank you for these beautiful songs and this uh, neat atmosphere and for each one that's here. And I believe, Father, that each of us is here not by accident, but by your divine appointment. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would continue to worship as the psalmist prayed, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just this past week, I was attending my uncle's funeral, and I was talking with one of my cousins, and uh, she was saying, you know, you, you look a lot like your dad. And I said, yeah, I didn't used to. I used to look a lot more like my mom. That was back when I had hair on my head. I looked a lot more like my mom in high school, but I look a lot more like my dad now. Our new grandson has a, a great resemblance uh, to his, his father, and, and that's kind of the way it should be. It's kind of the natural progression of things. The sons should look a little bit like their father, and it's interesting that they do. Naturally, they tend to not only have the physical appearance of their fathers, but they tend to take on some of the mannerisms of their fathers. They take on some of the interests and some of the ideas and some of the opinions, and that's just kind of natural. Now, I know that's overgeneralization. It's not always true, and it's not down to the T, but that's where we get these little phrases like, he's a chip off the old block, or he's the spitting image of so-and-so and so-and-so. And as we just spend a few moments tonight looking at John's record, of God's way of bringing salvation to mankind and as we spend a little time looking at God's plan of self-revelation to us in the book of John, in John chapter 1, 
verses 14 through 18, we're going to see it, how it is that God's Son revealed His Father to the world. And so I'm going to read the text of John 1, verses 14, or yeah, verses 14 through 18. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, or if you want to reach under the seat in front of you, there's a Bible, and you can turn to John 1. Or if you have your phone or whatever device you have, if you have a Bible app, you can turn there. I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to just share with you three ways that I see from the text that God's Son showed us His Father by coming to earth. He showed us the Father. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. There's a lot there, but here we see the first way that I think the Son revealed the Father was that Christ embodies grace and truth to us. The Word became flesh. Well, we didn't look there, but a few weeks ago in our regular morning services, the Word is that term that refers to the eternal and redeeming Son. It was mentioned in chapter 1, verse 1. The Word. And it's picked up now in verse 14. Between those two, that title is not given to Him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us is the same eternal Son, the same redeeming Son that John had talked about previously. And He became flesh. It's kind of a, actually it's kind of a crude way of referring to it. Crass, not so much to us, but it would have been to them. Because it was a deliberate affront to the heretics of the day who thought there would nothing good ever be in the flesh, human flesh. And so John deliberately uses this term to grate against the heretics who said nothing good. And he's saying God's Son, the Son of God, actually came in the flesh. He inhabited a human body. Paul said it elsewhere in Galatians 4. In the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Born under the law. Born of a woman. He's a flesh, human being, that Jesus is a human being. And it's interesting to me that only in coming in the flesh could God's Son accomplish some very important things. Only in the flesh could He render powerless Satan through His death and resurrection. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, that in coming in the flesh, Jesus conquered over Ruan and rendered powerless him who had the power of death, Satan. How did he do that? Well, he died, but he rose again. And if he can rise again, then Satan, who has the power of death, doesn't have power over everybody's death. No. There's victory. And then, in coming in the flesh, Jesus also is able to sympathize with us when we pray even though he's no longer in the grave, he's risen, he's ascended, he's in heaven, he's able to sympathize with us. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says we have a great high priest 
who can sympathize with us because he has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And therefore, he says in verse 16, we should come boldly to the throne of grace. I don't know about you, but it's like I get tired. I get hungry. I get ticked off when people do things that just don't exactly go the way I want them to go. And now, even though Jesus never sinned, he understood what it was to be disappointed with people. He understood what it was to be frustrated with people. He understood what it was to mourn the loss of someone close. He understood what it was like to be physically in pain. And so when we come to him and we're, we're confused. He understood what it was like to be betrayed. So when we, we come and we say, Lord, help me. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I'm sad. I'm sorrowful. I'm mourning. I'm hurting. We have a sympathetic high priest who can be, was tempted like we are. And he dwelt among men. I like that term. Now, I'm sure that some of you, it's like dwelt. That's kind of some old English term. It literally means he tabernacled among us. And so maybe you don't have a lot of connection with church, but when you hear the word tabernacle, it takes us back to the Old Testament. And intentionally, John, I think, took us back to the Old Testament by picking this term. He took us back to the Old Testament tabernacle, where God's presence would dwell among his people. That's where he said, this is where my presence will dwell. Well, Marla and I hadn't been married very long actually I think we'd just been married a year and we were living in a 12 by 52 mobile home okay big spacious uh, place with two bedrooms and one bath and you know you place you could hear your neighbors brush their teeth uh, that's uh, we're in a, in a mobile home trailer and a friend of ours and his his wife with their little infant child were coming back to seminary and they needed a place to stay before they took possession of their apartment and so they came to our house, and so the five of us tabernacled together in, in the mobile home, you know. When you tabernacle together with people, it gets real. Jesus understood. He came and he tabernacled together. And his glory, we beheld his glory, the text says. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten, think of the only unique, the one and only in a special sense. Isaac was Abraham's unique son. Jesus was God's unique son. None like him. Now, those who are trusting in Christ are called sons of God. But there is only one Son of God who is Jesus. Just as God sent His Shekinah glory to dwell and radiate from the tabernacle, so God sent His only Son to radiate His glory in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But the Radiant presence was different in this sense. The text says, we beheld his glory. Refers to physical. I am not going to read it, but in 1 John chapter 1, uh, John, same author, different book, says that he talks about he who we have seen with our eyes and our ears have heard and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
We saw, we heard, we touched this, this Jesus. Jesus is the visible self-revelation of God, the glory of God come down to men in his character and his conduct, not in his radiant presence. I hope you understand what I'm saying by that. You know, in the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, it was like, whoa, there was this radiant glory that was shining around. But we only see that once that I know of in the entire Bible with regard to Jesus, and that was on the Mount of Transfiguration where he had some of that glory. But for the most part, it was his conduct and his character that he was revealing the Father to us. Specifically, he was, you know, one that we beheld in a very physical sense. Like I, I actually shook one of our former vice president's hands. Okay, So I, I, I said hello, so, and he said hello to me. And so there was this, I saw with my eyes, I heard with my ears, and I touched him with my hands. Tangible expression, physical. And that's what Jesus was to us. He was full of grace and truth. That's the text. Interesting that that full of grace and grace and full of grace and truth appears like Three times in these four verses, okay? So it's like very important. It wasn't the only way that he revealed who the Father was, but it was the primary way that he revealed who the Father was, full of grace. What is grace? Unexpected and unmerited favor, an undeserved gift. He's full of it, overflowing with it. My mom told me that uh, she had heard, so I haven't verified this as true, but uh, Kurt Warner, former uh, NFL great, used to play at the University of Northern Iowa and then went on to play for uh, the Rams and the Cardinals. When he goes out to eat at a restaurant, his practice is that he will ask the waitress, he'll pick a random family in the restaurant and he'll buy their meal. He'll tell the waitress, bring me the ticket, and then just tell them that it's been taken care of. That's grace. An undeserved, unexpected gift, unmerited favor. Jesus is the grace of God incarnate. Paul said in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's a reference to, to the person of Jesus. He embodies grace. How does he do that? How does the coming of Jesus embody the grace of God? Well, that goes to the issue of our essence of who we are as people. Uh, reality is we're not really all that nice. Some people are out there saying that man is basically good. The Bible says that man is basically bad. That you and I are kind of born not so nice and we choose to be not so nice. We are oftentimes a little gossipy, a little overly critical, we like to spread rumors, we tend to be very selfish, we're proud, we sometimes lie, we sometimes steal, we sometimes embellish the truth to make ourselves look better and act better, seem better than we really are, especially in church. Everybody's smiling, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Yeah, just doing really well. You know, haven't been better. We aren't all that great. We're not all that well at times and so we as a result of this evilness in our heart this rebellion against God we deserve God's judgment but God didn't we deserve his wrath but he sent a rescuer that's the person of Jesus that's the the blessedness of what it is 
The word of God came out of love of God for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. He loved the world. We deserve to be punished, but he loved us. He suffered and died, paid the penalty for our sins. He sacrificed as a lamb for us to save us. He's full of truth. Now, when we, how do you define truth? Well, it's the opposite of false, right? That's true. Truth is not false. It's the opposite of falsehood, but it's also the full embodiment of the salvation plan of God that is counter to the ultimate lie of Satan. That's truth. Truth is the opposite of the lie. The lie is of Satan. And Satan's lie is, you're fine. We're good. We can make it. All we need is to get what we want and to be able to do what makes us happy. That's the world's and Satan's lie. If I can just get what I want and do what I want and make me happy, then I'll be good. That's not true. That's not true at all. What's true is that we are not good. God's gracious solution to our true problem of sin is to send his son, Jesus, to deliver us from judgment and then enable us to live rightly so that all who believed could be forgiven and receive right relationship with God. So God's grace through Christ embodies grace and truth. Christ enlivens us to grace and truth. In verses 16 and 17, and I'm not going to read the text, he comes back to this grace and grace upon grace, and then he says grace and truth have been realized in Jesus Christ. What does it mean for grace to be realized? Well, I would, I would say that uh, it's kind of like this. Last summer, my neighbor came over. He'd been down to the farmer's market down in downtown Des Moines. And he brought two blueberry muffins from the farmer's market. I love blueberry. And I love blueberry muffins. So anything that has blueberry in it is good for me. And so we received this undeserved, unexpected, unmerited gift. We received it. It wasn't ours. He had it. He was driving home with it. It was in his possession, but it wasn't ours until we had received it, until we had accepted it as our own. Jesus is the channel for spiritual blessing, just like most of us when we grew up, it's our parents were the channel for our Christmas blessings, you know, all those little gifts that we get under the tree, and some of you are going to open them tonight, some of them tomorrow, some of you already have opened them, but they're your gracious gifts. And so to receive that gift, we just have to admit we're messed up, which the world doesn't tell us. The world tells us we're okay. God's word says we're messed up. And that we deserve God's judgment. And then we just confess that we're going to believe that Jesus died and paid the debt and confess him as our, our Lord. That's the acceptance of the gift of what God did for us at salvation. And he says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from our dead, we will be saved from our sins, from the judgment that we deserve. And my prayer for me and for us here is that we don't get let the wonder of the cradle eclipse the work of the cross. The sentimentality of a baby in a manger is cool, but it led to the crucifixion and the resurrection 
and his seating, being seated on the throne of God and his coming again so that we could know this grace personally and partake of it as people that we could be saved by grace through faith. That's what Paul says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Saved from what? Judgment. And brought into the kingdom of God so that not only are we saved by grace, but those who are trusting in Christ are sustained by grace. We live by grace each day. Each day is a gift. Everything that we have is a gift. We understand by grace that we are set free. I don't know about you, but you go to school. How do you determine how well you do in school? You have to take tests and you do assignments and then you get grades and it's all performance, right? On work, you get graded on your performance. You do the performance. You do the thing. But in God's economy, none of us is good enough. No, we can't work hard enough or do well enough in order to earn the right relationship with Him. That's grace. And we receive it and we receive salvation. Once we receive it, we don't continue on trying to earn our betterment. Improve it. No, we're, we're saved by grace and we're sustained by His grace in that set, we're set free from performing. We're secure. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You know what that means? If you're in Christ, you're never not in Christ. There's no condemnation. Now, we all mess up. I, mean, I make mistakes every day. This morning, I was like, you know, family's gathering around. Somebody asked me to do something. I was like, what? what do you mean? Am I here to serve you? That's what I'm thinking. You know, I didn't say that out loud. Well, duh, yeah, you are. So we sin, but you know what? My sin breaks fellowship with God, but it doesn't break my relationship with God. And if we're in Christ, we're secure in that relationship. And then we're also special in his eyes. You know, it's interesting in Ephesians chapter 2, we're his workmanship. And the, the Hebrew word there is, or the Greek word is uh, poema. We're his poems, okay? We're his special poems. And so that means we're special to God. And finally, we're settled in realizing that everything that we have is really a gift from God. Can you take a breath right now? That's a gift from God. Our eyesight is a gift from God. Our family is a gift from God. The answer to prayer is a gift from God. The fact that God gives us comfort in the midst of our sorrow is a gift from God. The fact that God gives us courage to face our fears is a gift from God. The fact that God meets us in our loneliness is, is a gift from God. And we can rejoice in it. Oh, come, let us adore Him. The Son embodies the grace and truth. The Son enlivens us with grace and truth. And finally, the Son explains grace and truth. That's verse 18. He explained Him. It's, a, it's Hebrews chapter 1. He is the exact representation of His nature. If we want to know who God is, somebody people say, well, show me God and I'll believe. Okay, here's Jesus. And people say, yeah, I don't like those Christians. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we are sometimes. I'm, I'm sorry, we are, because we just don't always live out fully who we say we are in Christ. But don't look at me, look at Jesus, because he's the perfect example. I'm just striving by God's grace and with his spirit working in me to be more like Jesus. I'm not doing real well right now sometimes, but hey, look at him. It was a cold, cold Christmas Eve. And this man had 
gone inside after a long day's work and he was sitting inside in the, in the warmth of his home and all of a sudden he heard bam, bam, bam on his window. He didn't know what was going on. I know that sound because I've had it in my study here. It was the sound of birds hitting the glass. And the birds were trying to get inside where it was warm. And the man felt sorry for the birds. So he got on all of his winter clothes and he went outside and he opened his barn doors and he turned on the lights and he tried to shoo the birds into the barn. He got really frustrated, exasperated, and he finally he just said, I wish I could become a bird and I could speak bird and I could tell him to get in there where it was warm and in the light. And at that very moment, the church bells began to ring at the church that was starting their Christmas Eve service. And then it struck him. That's the meaning of Christmas. God sent his son. He became a human being so he could speak to us who God is. So he could show us the way. So he could lead us out of the... We're like the birds floundering around in the cold and the dark of sin. And he would speak to our lives so that we could be rescued and delivered and brought into the warmth and the light and the safety of a relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus. And so on Christmas Eve, if you're here and Maybe you've never really put your faith or your trust in Christ and been delivered from the payment and the judgment of sin. Then my prayer for you and invitation is just take a moment on this Christmas time and just say, Lord, I'm, I know I'm messed up. I know I deserve judgment. I just thank you that Jesus died for me and I'm trusting. I want to trust him and his death as the payment I deserve and invite him to be my Lord and Master. That's the greatest gift you could ever receive at Christmas. And if you know Christ as Savior, let's just come, let us adore Him for what He's done for us. Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, may this be true for us. And as we sing these songs, I pray that they might be our prayer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Amen. So now we're, we're going to have a little uh, just object lesson, a little reminder. Colin, you can turn off any uh, of the lights besides the ones up here. And uh, as we sing this this last song, we're going to have a couple of helpers who are going to go down the aisles and, and light the candles. And just uh, as if you're on the aisle and, and your candle is lit, um, just turn to the person next to you and pass it along. And just a, a little reminder of the darkness uh, that was in the world uh, before Christ and, and how that light that he brought is what he calls us to live in and is that uh, light that he calls us to share. <laughs> 